Dear friends in Christ, the word of God before us this evening for our study and meditation is taken from the Gospel of Matthew. We read in chapter 26, verses 57 and 58. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. This is the word of God before us tonight. We continue our theme that we've had this Lenten season of Jesus, Peter, and me. And this evening we look at distant discipleship. Inherent to the idea of discipleship are the ideas of discipline and faithfulness. Discipleship is not the most common word that we use anymore these days. We know that word from the Bible. We speak of Jesus' 12 disciples. We even talk of ourselves as disciples, but it's not really a word that's super common to us. But it's not that hard to understand either. A disciple is one who shows discipline. A disciple is one who is faithful. As we think about the topic of discipleship, there's certainly a lot to be learned from the Apostle Peter. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Many think that he was sort of the chief disciple, the head, the leader of the group. Certainly there's much to be gained from his example. But before we look at Peter, and we will tonight, we will look at Peter, but before we do that, I'd like you to consider something more recent than the words of our text. In 1910, President Theodore Roosevelt gave a memorable speech in which he talked about some of those same themes of discipline and faithfulness. In part of that speech, President Roosevelt said, It is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong man stumbled or how the doer of deeds might have done better. The credit belongs to the man in the arena, whose face is marred with blood and sweat and dust who strives valiantly so that his place shall never be among those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. The point that Roosevelt made in this speech is that it's easier to sit on the sidelines rather than to get involved. Many people want to give their opinion about things in life. Many people want to be critical about other people. But few people actually want to get involved. Few people actually want to be invested in something where they have to put a bit of themselves on the line. As Roosevelt said, things change when you're the one in the arena. When you invested yourself into a cause, you need discipline. You need faithfulness. These are certainly fitting words from an American president. We can understand why a president would include such thoughts in a speech, and maybe they sound a bit inspiring to us as well. Maybe you've heard them before. It certainly inspire me to do well in the tasks to which I'm invested. But alongside the consideration of our effort, we must also consider that for which we strive. 
We can put forth the greatest effort. We can be invested to the greatest degree possible. But if the cause for which we're striving is not good, it amounts to nothing. It's interesting that the words of Roosevelt's speech have been adopted by many other individuals throughout history and even present-day individuals to apply to their particular cause. A different president, Richard Nixon, quoted from Roosevelt's speech both at the beginning of his presidency, at his inauguration, and also at the end when he disgracefully resigned from office. Nixon wanted to see himself, in good and bad, as the man in the arena. South African President Nelson Mandela gave a copy of this speech to the captain of his rugby or soccer team in the 1995 World Cup. He wanted those representatives of his country to see themselves as men in the arena, as individuals who strive valiantly for a cause. This speech was even used as the basis of a recent TV documentary on the NFL quarterback Tom Brady, talking about how he has accomplished so much in his career, and it's aptly named Man in the Arena. You see, when it comes to being seen as someone who strives valiantly, as someone who is invested to a cause, as someone who lays down a lot, there's this romantic vision in our culture and in our world. We want to be seen as that person who puts it all on the line, that person who truly gets involved, that person who fights for something noble, we want to be seen by others like that. We want to receive a bit of credit for that, a bit of applause, a bit of acknowledgement that we're investing something into an important cause. In that sense, when we think of our relationship with God, we tend to think of ourselves as pretty good disciples. Many of us lifelong Christians, many of us attending church each week, many of us knowing our Bible, having passages and maybe even entire sections memorized. Many of us having quick and ready answers to other questions that would puzzle people about God and about his word. All those things make us feel like we have been good disciples. We have been the faithful and disciplined followers that Jesus expects and wants. But what we see tonight is that we need to be able to look beyond our own efforts and to see, more importantly, the cause for which we strive. We see from this evening that Peter was a distant disciple. With each step that Jesus took toward the cross, and we've traced that through this Lenten season in the different readings that we've had, Peter became more and more reluctant to invest his time into the cause. Peter started off pretty well. He pledged his faithfulness to Jesus. He pledged his loyalty. He told Jesus that even if all others would forsake him, he would not. He told Jesus that even if he had to die with him, he would not deny him. Peter continued on in the evening following Jesus. Peter followed Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus asked Peter, watch and pray. And yet Peter fell asleep twice. 
Peter tried to muster up some courage when the mob came and arrested Jesus. We're told that Peter pulled out his sword and began defending Jesus, even cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. And yet he was quickly rebuked for having done so. As the night progressed and Peter kept moving forward and Jesus kept walking toward the cross, Peter's confidence in his faithfulness was diminishing moment by moment. As the mob dragged Jesus away, finally, there seemed to be little more that could be done in that moment by Peter and the rest of the disciples than to simply watch it all fall apart. It was as if they were helpless and had nothing else they could do. The, ver the verse immediately before our sermon text in the Gospel of Matthew tells us that all of the disciples, including Peter, ran away from Jesus in that moment. Of course, the worst was still coming for Peter, as he would deny Jesus three times. But as we get to the thoughts of our text, as we get to this moment, Peter seemed to have a shred of dignity left. Here he entered the high priest's courtyard, trying to keep some proximity to Jesus, trying to remain faithful in some way to the promises that he had pledged his Savior. Peter must have felt a bit of confidence in this moment. Yes, the night hadn't gone the way he expected, but he was here now. Yes, he wasn't as faithful to Jesus as he had promised, but he was here now when it mattered the most. Perhaps Peter thought he could remain faithful as he had promised. But in reality, Peter was distant. Peter may have been there in the courtyard, but he was far removed from his Savior. Peter may have thought of himself as a man in the arena, as one ready to invest in the cause, as one ready to lay down his life, but really Peter was just a spectator. Peter failed that evening and revealed his distant discipleship because he chose to focus more on his effort than on the cause. Likewise, in our lives, as we follow our Savior Jesus, it's easy to allow that romantic idea in our heads to lead the way. It's easy for us to think that we have been and we can be so much for Jesus. And that's what our confidence is in. It's easy to trust in our wisdom, our experience, our promises to God. And God's warning to us this evening is borne out in the example of Peter before us. It's not about our effort, but it's about the cause for which our Savior has striven. The cause is what determines the value of the battles that we fight. And the cause that evening for Peter, just as it is for us this evening, is bigger than any one of us. And the cause that evening rested not on Peter's shoulders or any of the other disciples, but on Jesus alone. That cause on our Savior was accomplishing salvation for all humanity, making good on God's promise that had been given at the very beginning to Adam and Eve and that God had patiently led his people through from generation to generation. 
when we seek to fight our battles of faith as God intends, when, when we contend as disciples in the way that God has designed us, we look to the cause that Jesus has won for us as our hope and not to ourselves. There may be times like Peter that we have grand and romantic visions about who we think we are or what we need to be before God or how worthy we need to feel to show ourselves as followers of God. But those things will not give us courage and resolve in the midst of the fight. Jesus is the only man in the arena of salvation. And that evening, he achieved total victory. And what a sight Jesus was as the man in the arena that night. In contrast to the fanciful images of glory that we often think of it ourselves, people applauding us and putting praise and admiration upon us for our great faith, in contrast to those fanciful images, God tells us what Jesus looked like that evening. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God allowed the prophet Isaiah to foretell in great detail what that Savior looked like as he went to the cross to achieve the cause. Isaiah wrote about Jesus. He had no attractiveness and no majesty. When we saw him, nothing about his appearance made us desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man who knew grief and was well acquainted with suffering. Like someone whom people cannot bear to look at, he was despised and we thought nothing of him. Surely he was taking up our weaknesses. He was carrying our sufferings. We thought it was because of God that he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But it was because of our rebellion that he was pierced. What a difference between the sight of our Savior that evening going to the cross, upon the cross, in the way that we think of faithfulness and discipline. What a difference in the hope that it gives us. There was nothing attractive in terms of worldly glory or power about Jesus that night. There was nothing about his appearance or what he was doing that would have made people think this really is something important. And yet, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. As Pilate declared, Behold the man. When we rely on ourselves, as Peter did, when we seek our own glory, when we want others to look at us and praise our virtue, the result of that will always be the same. Distant discipleship. Like Peter, it's easy to keep Jesus at an arm's length in our faith life. It's easy to put on a good show outwardly and say the right things and confess the right things and pledge the right faithfulness and yet in practice keep our Savior at a distance when it's not convenient. How often have we in our own lives had a true moment of joy and contentment in our faith at our Savior's side in his word and yet in that moment quickly reverted back to what the world tells us we need to be or what the world tells us we need to do. How often 
Have we sorrowed and felt the guilt and shame over sin that we've committed and vowed to the Lord that we'll never do it again? Pledged our faithfulness only to fall into the same thing the next day. How often have we discarded what God has given us, the true and holy truth of his word, in favor of what the mob of the world tells us to believe or follow? We could think of example after example of our failed discipleship, of how we have been distant disciples just as Peter had. Truly, that is not our hope. But where did Peter hope, Peter's hope come from? Matthew tells us at the end of our text that Peter entered the high priest's courtyard with a pretty pessimistic view of what was going to occur. Matthew tells us that Peter came to see the end. Peter probably felt like us when we consider our many failures before God. What hope is there? Once again, I failed. Time and time again, I don't measure up. Surely there's nothing more that really can be done in my faith life than to watch it really fall apart, to witness the end. Peter felt like what he had striven for for so long with Jesus and the rest of the disciples was now over. It was like a car crash that you couldn't avoid just watching the demise. And so Peter remained distant. Peter remained depleted of the courage that he had felt only moments before. What Peter felt was true. Peter's grand ideas were over. Peter's romantic vision about how great he would be for Jesus, how he would show himself on the stage, had quickly vanished. But the real cause remained. The real cause was Jesus. Jesus remained right where he needed to be right where God intended him to be. Jesus proceeded upon the task that only he could accomplish. Jesus suffered what we could not endure. Jesus overcame what we could not pay. When everyone else was distant, even the closest of his disciples, even Peter himself, who wanted to be with Jesus most of all, when all others were distant, when Jesus was alone, he did what only he could do. He won the cause. The cause of our salvation, the cause of our courage, the cause of our resolve, the cause of our discipleship. Because Jesus remained faithful, we can be followers of him today. Peter came to see the end, Matthew tells us, but it wasn't what Peter thought it would be. You see, the end can mean a lot more than just the expiration of something. The end can mean the fitting conclusion. The end can mean the bringing together of the way things ought to be. The end can mean how what is planned by God is made beautiful in its time and in its purpose. And that's what Peter saw that night. You know, when you think of Peter, maybe you're like me, the idea of distant disciple is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Peter craved 
Jesus' attention. Peter wanted to be with Jesus every moment. Peter hung on every word Jesus spoke. Of all the disciples, Peter would be the least one to be called distant. In one of the most memorable stories about Peter, he showed that in action too. Even in the midst of a storm on the Sea of Galilee, Peter called to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's how much Peter wanted to be with Jesus. He was willing to walk on water, and he did, to be with his Savior. But despite such a miracle, despite such outward faithfulness, despite so many examples again and again of Peter's desire to be with Jesus, all the way up to the end, Peter was distant in the one place that meant the most. Peter was distant, not in his words, not, his, not in his intentions, not in his efforts, but in his heart. By relying on himself so much, Peter had kept Jesus at a distance. And so on the Sea of Galilee that day, Jesus reminded Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What love we see from our Savior in that moment as he was pointing Peter back to the true source of his hope. As he was gently preparing Peter for what he knew would come up ahead in the words and events of our text. But if you remember in that story on the Sea of Galilee, there was one more thing that Jesus did for Peter. It wasn't just about a lesson. It wasn't just about a reminder. It, it wasn't just about an admonishment to again have faith and a trust. There was the most important thing that Jesus did. As Peter began to sink under the water, and more importantly, to sink under the weight of his failures, of his misplaced priorities, of his forgotten pledges of faithfulness and discipleship, as Peter began to sink under the weight of all of that, Jesus pulled down and rescued Peter. Jesus pulled Peter back to life, back to hope, back to peace, back to purpose. That's where Peter's hope came from. And that evening on Good Friday, Peter wasn't thinking of it. But the Lord would remind him, and the Lord would pull him back. And that's the same hope that we have for our discipleship as well. Even though we fall into the same traps as Peter, even though we struggle with the same failures, even though our faithfulness and dis discipline is not what it ought to be, our Savior brings us back. Because he has remained faithful to the cause of our hope and our salvation. When it comes to the struggle of our faith, it's true there's only one man in the arena, and that man is Jesus. Thanks be to God for achieving complete victory through our Savior that night, and may God continue to lead us in the paths and lessons of discipleship just as he did for Peter and the rest of the twelve. And for those times when our hope is misplaced, when our faith seems to be weak, may God restore us and bring us back in his grace. Amen. Please rise.
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.